Hey there, boss. This is Jeff Mendelson, host of the One Big Tip podcast. And I am so excited to announce my new Agents of Pod coaching program, where I teach you how to fast track your lead gen by having more conversations with your targeted clients, even if you have no list, audience, or paid ads. Head on over to agentsofpod.com slash hero, and let me show you how to be the superhero in your own business. I am also actively seeking guests for this podcast. If you know someone who is currently six figures or more in their business and they have an actionable, tangible, and measurable tip to share, please let them know about it. Just go to onebigtip.com slash guest for information on how to be a guest. I can't wait to hear from you. Let's get started. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. My name is Jeff Mendelson, and this is the One Big Tip Podcast. And today, I am really pleased to have with me on the line Michael Levitt. Michael is the founder of the Breakfast Leadership Network. Mike knows what it's like to feel burnout and how difficult it can be to recover from it. Today, he helps others build burnout-proof lifestyles as the chief burnout officer of the Breakfast Leadership Network. He's also a keynote speaker, the host of the Breakfast Leadership Show, and a certified therapist, a Fortune 500 consultant, and the author of a new book called Burnout Proof. So join us today as we discuss how Mike recovered from burnout, reinvented himself, and now helps others get past the burnout phase in this new economy. So Michael, thank you very much for joining me today and welcome to the show. Great to be with Jeff. Looking forward to our conversation today. So I want to hear this hero's journey. Right. It sounds like you had a really, really stressful, you know, like who hasn't had a really stressful career, but at the same time to be able to recognize what is happening to you, identify it, make core corrections, and then reverse course course and make it happen for yourself. That is really a skill indeed. So tell us a little bit about who you are and what makes you so amazing. Well, thank you so much for this and really looking forward to this. Yeah, burnout is something that I think everyone's facing. You know, it's hitting every sector. I spoke at a conference last week in education, and I've spoke at leadership conferences, nonprofit, corporate, education, healthcare. Everybody's dealing with it. And this pandemic, unfortunately, has poured gasoline on a fire that was already burning. So it's been a really challenging time for a lot of people. But my hero's journey, and I love how you framed it that way. We got to go back to 2007. I was hired as a healthcare executive, which is really ironic once you hear the rest of the story. As a healthcare executive for a startup medical clinic just outside of Windsor, Ontario, Canada. I'm originally from the Detroit area and immigrated with my former wife back in 2004, became a citizen in 2011. And I like to joke that I can vote and screw up two countries, but then I leave it there. I never tell anybody who I vote for because half the audience would probably hate me. So I just avoid politics at all costs because it just it's a no-win thing. But as a startup and anybody that's ever been an entrepreneur or launched a business, you know there's a lot of hours. Even though I was an employee, I treated this organization as if it was my own. And I put in all the hours. Basically, from 2007 to 2009, I was working basically 6 a.m. to 11 p.m. seven days a week. It's just constantly on email, constantly working on reports. Because it was a government-funded agency, 
all the reporting requirements for that and negotiations. And we were trying to get an expansion for our clinic and recruiting new physicians and hiring staff, you name it. It was literally a ground zero clinic and starting up to a fully functional clinic that saw thousands of people, you know, every month. And the challenge of that is, is I had zero healthcare experience when I started. Now, I had startup experience before when I worked in IT and other industries, but zero healthcare. So not only did I have the weight of a startup, I also had the weight of what in the world am I doing? Yeah, I don't know anything about healthcare other than being a consumer of it occasionally. So yeah, throw all those ingredients in and you start dealing with a lot of stress. And that stress never let up. And I started working more and more and more. And I stopped doing things in life that I enjoyed doing because I was working so much and not eating well, not resting, not taking care of myself, both both physically or mentally. And it all came to a crashing halt in May of 2009, where over a period of 369 days, so just over a year from May 2009 to May 2010, the following happened to me. I had a heart attack that should have killed me. Then 17 weeks later, I lost my job during the Great Recession. I was in the Detroit area. Not many jobs during that time. If you remember, the government had to bail out the auto sector. So here I am, fresh off a heart attack, no job. And then it took me months to find a new job, which ended up requiring a relocation to Toronto, which was hundreds of miles or kilometers, however you want to count it, away from family and friends and everybody that I knew. And then during that time, when I started at my new job up in Toronto, uh, I got a phone call back in the Windsor area from my daughter indicating that the bank had come and repossessed our family vehicle. Okay, so heart attack, job loss, car repossession. And then finally, a few weeks later, after we found a place to move the family up to Toronto and we were getting ready to list our house, I went back to the house because we forgot a bunk bed ladder for our daughter's bed. When I went back to the house, there was a sticker on the door that said foreclosure. So heart attack, job loss, car repossessed, home foreclosure, all in a year. And all those things Sounds happened like to me. Happened. It was a year of worst case scenarios for me. And right. all of those things happened because I was burned out. Uh, my burnout created all of those scenarios. So you would think that all of those things happened, like, you know, none of that happened in a vacuum. Right. No. So you knew that was coming, right? Because, you know, you don't pay your mortgage. You know, eventually someone's going to come and put a sticker on your door. You don't pay your car. Eventually someone's going to come and pick it up. Right. So you knew that those were coming. Right. And you would think that any one of those would be the bottom that would be like, okay, now I can, you know, I've hit this bottom. Now I can start going up. But it seems like the bottom just kept on getting deeper. Right. It did. Yeah. It was like, okay, what next? What next? And, you know, the challenge with, especially with the car payment and the mortgage payment with unemployment and anybody that's ever been on unemployment knows it's not as much income as normal. And, you know, we weren't living above our means by any stretch, but, you know, we were probably a little bit more in debt than we should have been. But the biggest challenge was when you're unemployed and now you're on heart medication that costs a thousand dollars a month, you have to make choices feed myself and my family, take these medications to keep me alive, or skip out on some things to make the car payment. Now, with all due respect to the banks, you know, we worked with them and they worked with us for quite a long time. It wasn't, you know, we, we didn't hide from anybody, but the challenge is, you know, the time ran up. We were 
without income coming in for quite a long time. And as we all remember from the Great Recession, there was a lot of people that were in the same situation. So for the banks, you know, they had no other choice. And I don't blame them. I was never upset with the bank. I, I entered an agreement with both the bank for the house and for the car. I sign a loan. You give me money so I can buy this thing. I pay you back over a period of time. Well, I didn't pay them back. So they reserve the right, rightfully so, to take those things back. But to get to your point about hitting the bottom, every time something happened, you know, in that particular moment, yeah, I felt horrible, but I never allowed myself to play victim because I figure a victim is not going to get better. The victim's going to stay there. And I didn't want to stay in that situation. I wanted to get well. I wanted to get back to working in in find a place to live close to where I was working and, you know, and start rebuilding things. And that's ultimately what ended up happening. But unfortunately I had to go through all of those horrible situations for me to realize that the way that I was living my life was not sustainable. When your cardiologist is about to put stents in your left interior descending artery, which is known as the widow maker, by the way, and he tells you, you know, you should be dead right now. If that's not a wake-up call, I'm not sure what is. Of course, yeah, I could use the mortgage foreclosure you can handle, but your yeah. doctor telling you, you know, that should be pretty strong as well. Let's fast forward a little bit to how you were able to recognize what was happening to you. Yeah. And what are the first steps to taking action and actually improving the situation that you happen to be in instead of just letting it spiral even more out of control? Yeah, for me, once the house situation uh, and the foreclosure was uh, in play, then we knew, okay, at that point, I'm thinking, okay, what else could happen? You know, and of course, I asked that question very quietly because I didn't want to know what the answer could be. But for me, it was because there was a bit of time, even though 300 a year basically seems like a very short period of time, you know, 369 days. Are 369 days. They that can drag out a little bit. So I I took the time to reflect, especially after the heart attack, because I was 40 years old at the time, which is really young to have a cardiac event. And I had that 17 week period to rest. I wasn't working. So at that point, I did a lot of reflection going, okay, how in the world did I get here? And started making some adjustments. Thankfully, through the health system that I was a part of, there was referrals to mental health, nutrition, exercise, and a variety of other things that I was ignoring when I was burning out. So I was able to work with those people to kind of get you know back to at least an even state. And from there, the deeper work took place. And I always warn people that you know about 90 to 95% of people do not need to reinvent their entire life if they're burned out. In my situation, I had to because, again, the way I was living, was not sustainable. Uh, if I didn't make the adjustments in my life, I probably wouldn't be talking to you today. But thankfully, I did. So I started looking at, okay, what do I need to do changing from nutrition, activity, all that. So you get that and you start implementing those habits. That's great. So that helps you prevent burnout from happening again from those aspects. But the deeper work, and this is why I do a lot of the therapy stuff that I do now, is trying to figure out my behaviors and my thoughts and why did I feel it was important to work all of those hours? Why did I feel it was important for me to neglect my own well-being 
for a business that, quite frankly, would fire me if they had an opportunity, and they did. Uh, and you know, I'm not going to go into the details on that situation, but at the end of the day, my habits, my thoughts, my beliefs played a big part in me burning out. So I need to dig deep and go, why was that important to me? Why did I say this startup, which I'm an employee of, why did I treat it as it was my own company? Why did I do that? And I started figuring that out. It was wanting, you know, obviously self-respect. I wanted uh, to be recognized. And all of these ego types of things played a big part in a lot of the work that I did. And I realized, okay, that's not going to go anymore. So when I took on the new role, when I found the place in Toronto, thankfully, and even though I didn't really understand boundaries at that point yet, but I knew, okay, number one, I cannot work the hours that I was working before. Number two, this is an employee-employer relationship. I will trade services and my time for the work within reason and, and go about that. And then over time, started understanding burnout a little bit more, researching at the causes and all of that. And I'm like, okay, let's implement some of these things. So then my life was great. And then I started looking around. I'm going, wait a minute. Where are all these people going down the same path that I did? They look like they're going to burn out or they're already burned out. And that's what really scared me going, okay, what do I do with what happened to me? Do I move on from it? Or do I go out in public and declare that I had all of those losses and share my story in a way to intentionally wake people up or scare them to say, oh, wait a minute, that sounds a little bit like what's going on in my life. Okay, what do I need to do to stop it? So that was the intent. I thought, all right, well, do I want to venture down this path of sharing my story? And once I got the courage to do so, I did. And boy, did that open up a Pandora's box of stuff and from business and the podcast and writing books and everything else that I've been doing over these last six years now. It's been quite the ride. That is an incredible story. Thank you so much for sharing that. I want to touch on a few things that you brought up. You, you know, like you have the part about recognizing it and knowing what, you know, figuring out what you needed to do in order to change you. You know, you took the time to rest, to reevaluate and all that. And then you wrote the book on it, on how to recognize burnout, but also how to alleviate it. Let's talk a little bit about that because that's a big part of your one big tip, how yeah. to manage your self-care so that you can mitigate, you know, some of these factors that it can be really you know, that can be really important and really impactful on your life and actually turn them around to make them better. How does that look to you? How do you help people through that? Well, the first thing I do is you have to understand what the signs of burnout are. And for everybody, they could vary. But the common ones that I see in organizations and with people is, one, people aren't getting enough sleep. Their sleep quality is lousy. And it's not just over night by night. It's over several nights or weeks or months or maybe even years. Sleep is so critically important for our well-being. Our digestive system works while we sleep. We recover from all the damage that we do to ourselves on a daily basis. No matter how healthy you live, we still do damage to ourselves from the food we eat, the air we breathe, the information we consume. So if you're not resting, that's a definite warning sign. If you're making mistakes at work, you're forgetful, your relationships are struggling a little bit, uh, maybe you're 
more irritable than you normally are. Those are some signs to look out for either in yourself or in, in people you work with or love because those are the warning signs. Now, the big warning here is, or the good news, I should say, is you can stop burnout a lot quicker than you think. It's the deeper work, of course, is the work that I did for myself that I needed to do is figure out why did I burn out? What was I doing that put these ingredients into play that created my year of worst case scenarios? First thing, going back to sleep is so critically important. Make sure you get good sleep. And in order to do that, you got to be consistent with your sleep. And also make sure that your room where you sleep in is conducive for you to get a good night's sleep. And that includes investing in a decent pillow, in a decent mattress, and decent bedding. You know, the timing of this, you know, Super Bowl's coming up. And we know all the big box stores are selling televisions of every size. And people are thinking, oh, you know what? We need to get a brand new television because we haven't been able to have a Super Bowl party in a couple of years. So we're going to go buy that big screen. That's great. Unless if your TV needs to be replaced, by all means, do it. But I encourage people, you know what, instead of spending so much money on a brand new television, assuming your current television still works, maybe spend it on a new mattress, one that you really feel, you know, when you get good sleep. Like when you travel, for example, you're at a resort or some nice hotel and you lay in that mattress and it feels absolutely amazing. When you want that at home, it's important because think where you spend most of your time in one spot. It's where you sleep. So spend some money on a decent mattress, spend some decent money on pillows that are good for you, that feel comfortable, and also your bedding. You'll rest better. If you rest better, that means you're getting better sleep, which means you're repairing the damage yourself or that you're doing to yourself on a daily basis. Another thing to do, and everybody's going to know I'm going to say this, the food you eat. And I'm not telling you not to eat fast food restaurants or anything like that. But one of the things that I did last year was I got a food intolerance test and they tested me on over 250 types of foods. And I was alarmed at the number of foods that I have an intolerance to. Now, there's a few foods that I have an outright allergy to and I shouldn't eat them because it gives me some issues. But there's some other foods that I was normally eating in my diet that I have an intolerance to, which causes inflammation, which causes you know your gut to have to work overtime. Because if you think about it, if you eat something that's not right for you, your body, when it's trying to digest that food, it's kind of like a foreign object to them. So they're not sure what to do. So that means that they're talking with your brain to say, I don't know what to do with this. Your brain basically says, well, here's how to process it through. But the problem with that is if you're eating so many foods that aren't good, and good for you, then your body's constantly fighting, trying to break down these foods instead of foods that would naturally flow through your system without having to use any extra energy. That way, that energy can be used in your body to repair the other damage you do and rest and all that. And what ends up happening is you get a better night's sleep. You get a better night's sleep, guess what? Your cognitive ability is better. Your relationships are better. You feel better. Stressful situations aren't as stressful because you're coming at them in a more relaxed state. And you know the big tip, and I see this all the time with people that are burning out, is they stop doing things in life that they enjoy doing. And that's one of the big things that I did. I stopped doing things that I liked, whether it's going to sporting events, concerts, going out with friends. I stopped doing that. And if you do that, that's pouring gasoline on that burnout fire. You can't stop doing things 
you like doing. You need to do them. And I know even with people that work busy hours and long hours, fine. You can't go spend an hour at a coffee shop with your best friend. Could you spend 10 minutes, maybe 15? Yes, it's not the full time you normally like to do, but at least you're still doing it. And as long as you're doing things in life you enjoy doing, even if they're in little increments, it pays a big, big dividend, quite frankly, in helping keeping your stress reduced and, of course, preventing burnout. You know, I like that you brought out that point that we start uh, on the things that actually give us pleasure on the things that actually help us decompress, right? Because you think like, oh, I'm so busy. I'm so busy. I'm so busy. So then you stop like uh, like you don't go have coffee by the pool if you happen to live by, you know, like in a development that has a pool, for example, or you don't, uh, you know, go out and uh, and have lunch. I think a lot of people miss that, you know, being able to go out for the hour, you know, to have lunch in a restaurant as opposed to, you know, just working from home and cooping yourself up in a room for 10, 10 to 14 hours a day. You know, yeah. it's bad, right? It's bad. It's bad for you. Yeah, it's in this pandemic has obviously made things worse because we haven't had the social interaction like we're used to. Many places have been closed, so our habits have changed. And that's the big thing, too, with working remotely. As much as I'm a big fan of it, I, and I am a full supporter of it, I, each organization obviously is different on what their needs are and what you need to deliver for your customers. But my concern has always been, if you don't have boundaries around when you work and when you don't, then instead of the commute time and everything else that we used to do before the pandemic started, we just roll out of bed and start working. And we work all day. We don't take our breaks. We miss lunch. We lose track of time. Next thing you know, you're putting in a 12, 14-hour day and your body's aching because you're not getting any movement in. Because even if you went to an office and you work at a desk job, you're still moving around. You're getting up, you're going to get a coffee, you're going to the bathroom, you're walking out to go get lunch. You're still moving. A lot of times when you're at home, I mean, you're not getting 10,000 steps. You might be lucky to get 2,000 steps, depending on the size of your property. And that, of course, has some long-ranging effects because movement and activity helps with stress prevention as well. So if you're not moving, your body's sore. So again, your body's trying to heal that and it's not using that energy to deal with your stressful situations, which then of course builds up over time. And then if you're lucky, then you get clogged arteries, which is not something you really want to have. I definitely hear you on that. Thank you so much for sharing that. I wanted to ask you one last thing on this subject before we move on, which is how do you teach people to, to identify that this is the time you need to start working on it? Like, what's the catalyst for that? One of the telling tales and how people live their lives is how they schedule their lives or if they don't schedule them. You know, if most people have at least some type of calendar that they use, maybe it's for work or for activities or hobbies or chores, whatever the case may be, but always look at their calendars if they you know, are good at tracking their time to see what they're working on. And a good colleague of mine, Virginia, taught me this years ago. She said, color code, or if you're colorblind, then use symbols. But basically what you want to do is you want to schedule your me time, your self-care time, your fun time, going to coffee shop or sitting by the pool or things you like doing in life. Schedule them. As silly as that sounds, it's important because if you schedule those, as Michael Hyatt has told us, what gets scheduled gets done. If you don't schedule it, guess what? You're not going to get it done. 
I'm forgetful of things unless it's on my calendar. I, if I didn't know that about our chat today, I probably would have forgotten about it. I wouldn't have forgot they were going to have it. I would have forgot that it was today. So it's on my schedule. It's there and everything was good. But the key that Virginia taught me was to color code those quote unquote self-care or me time things with your favorite color because your eyeballs are naturally gravitated to your favorite color or if you're colorblind, your favorite symbol. Then that way you can look at your calendar. You can squint. You don't even have to look at the text and just look for that favorite color and that favorite symbol. If you don't see enough of your favorite color or your favorite symbol, that means you're not spending enough time in your weekly lives on things that are good for you. So you get to adjust. So I'll ask people, how are you spending your time? Because everybody says, I don't have enough time. Well, last time I checked, unless you bought a defective clock, we all get 24 hours. Um, And how you spend that dictates how your life is going to be. And simple adjustments, little tweaks here and there can make a huge difference. So that's the first thing I do when I work with people is like, how are you spending your time? Because that gives me an idea of how they address and approach other things in their lives that are, you know, creating the stress that's in their lives that's unfortunately leading them to a burned out state. Amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that. I really appreciate it. Can you please let everyone know how they can learn more? about you and your company and how they can reach out to you directly? Yep. The best way is to go to my website, breakfastleadership.com. My email is Michael, M-I-C-H-A-E-L at breakfastleadership.com. You can send me an email there. I'm on most of the social media channels. Uh, Just look up either the hashtag breakfastleadership or the letter B in fast leadership. Don't put that on a license plate, by the way. Uh, You get to meet the police a lot if you do that. Uh, but I'm active on social media, LinkedIn, uh, my blog on my website. We post a ton of content every week, business tips and burnout tips and all of that. And then, of course, my latest book, Burnout Proofs, available on Amazon. Feel free to check that out. I think it's on sale this week, but I, I haven't looked at it this week. But it should be relatively affordable. It's a quick read, and that's intentional to be a quick read because it's action-packed with, here's what burnout is, here's some things you can do to, to stop it in its tracks. And that's the whole idea is to get to, the, get to the point and help people eradicate burnout from their lives. Amazing, amazing stuff. Thank you so much for sharing that today. I really appreciate it. You have a lot of great tips and um, I just really appreciate you taking the time to tell us about that and how to improve you know, to important, you know, facet of your life. So thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you so much for listening to the one big tip podcast. If you're a six to eight figure entrepreneur, business coach, or speaker who would like to be on this show, we need to talk. The audience for this podcast is hungry for experts and professionals who want to share their knowledge with this world. So if you're ready to share your actionable and measurable one big tip, please go to onebigtip.com slash guest and let's get your story out there. I am also crazy excited to announce my new Agents of Pod coaching program. With this program, I show busy entrepreneurs the strategies that I use to have warm conversations with my dream clients, keep my calendar book solid, and consistently have potential clients at the ready, all anxiously waiting to speak with me every single week. Head on over to agentsofpod.com slash hero and let me show you how to be the superhero in your business today. Lastly, I have a huge ask for you. Could you please share this with your audience on social media? 
The stories and connections that I make on this podcast have helped thousands of people, sometimes in the most profound ways. And you never know if your small action today will be the one that kickstarts your friend, a family member, or even yourself into taking massive action in starting the next multi-million dollar business. It'll be your way of just paying it forward. My name is Jeff Mendelson. You can find me on all the major social channels like LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook. Thank you so much for listening.